Hello everyone and welcome to Questions You're Not Asking. My name is Tom French. And my name is Chris Morphew. Chris and I are writing a book with responses to a bunch of absurd questions about God and the Bible that you're probably not asking and probably don't need an answer to. And as we prepare to write the book, we're letting you in on our discussions. This week, we are looking at the question of, was Jesus a rubbish carpenter? But before we get into it, Chris, how has your week been? Um, it's been pretty good. I am working on three books about much more mainstream questions. I don't know if I'm supposed to be announcing publicly that I'm doing that, but you heard it here first. So I am giving those back to my publisher next week in theory. So I'm just trying to get back to all of the notes from my editor, but I think we're nearly there. And then assuming COVID doesn't do anything completely untoward, I will be back at school next week, which should be fun also. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing pretty well. I just spent the week trying to make this podcast happen because uh, we're about four weeks ahead in our podcast recording. And so I've got really excited about, you know, getting it online and launching it. And so that's been a fun week. And then I also wrote a an assessment for college about domestic violence, which was not so fun. Before we start, Tom, I have some um, old business, if I may. Oh, I've never brought old business before. Oh, but, um, yeah, no, that's good. I was chatting to a friend of mine about the podcast and about the first few topics we were doing. And so... The episode, like, two before this one, um, we talked about time travel and the question of, like, if you went back in time to see Jesus, would that be an act of devotion or dangerous stupidity? And he brought something up, which in hindsight is really obvious, but I don't think that we really talked about. And that was um, not necessarily going back in time being an act of devotion, but a really good way to figure out if this stuff is even real. Yeah. And so when I posed the question to him about time travel, he was like, oh, right. So you can go back and see if it was, if it's true or not. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that at you and say, what do you think of time travel as a way of going back and uh, validating the claims of the Gospels? Like, how useful would that be? It would be super useful. Like, you could go and, like, because because Christianity is based on historical claims, particularly about who Jesus was and what he did when he died and rose again. Like, at very least, you want to check out if the resurrection is real. Um, but you'd want to check out a few other stuff, other things. And you could get a bunch of extra, like, teaching from Jesus. There's, there's a lot of stuff you could do to verify the, the truth of the Bible. Okay, I'm sold. Let's do it. Um, except... We can't. Yeah. Well, I was listening back to your um, to the episode, and actually, I have another question to ask you in a minute. Um, but like, given the fact that we can't, the friend who was asking, the impression I got was that he was like, "Wouldn't it be great if we could go back in time? Because then we could know it's real. As it is, we can't really. And so, it'd be cool if we could go back and find out. So this is what my my friend who was asking about this is not a Christian. And so he, immediately he was like, oh, cool, then I'd be able to see if it's true. I think it would be, I think that would be really nice, except that I, even if you found out it was true, I'm not sure that you would necessarily 
believe that it was like believe that Jesus is who he said he was and put your trust in him. Like what you need to put your trust in is that Jesus is God or and the promised Messiah who gave his life for us. And you can't even verify that just by looking at physically what happened. And then you have the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And even when the resurrected Jesus turned up, people still didn't always put their trust in him. Like there's that bit at the end of um, Matthew before Jesus ascends into heaven and there's the he's taken the disciples up on the mountain and it says they worship Jesus but some doubted and so there are some of the disciples who are standing there with the resurrected Jesus and then they're doubting and whether they're doubting he's resurrected or doubting whether they can do it they're, they're certainly not entirely full of faith when when they're with Jesus and then you have the people who hear about the resurrection of Jesus from the eyewitnesses, the people who are there, and it's within a few weeks of it happening, and still not everyone puts their trust in Jesus. So so I think even if you have the verifiable facts and you see it with your own eyes, you might not still then even put your trust in Jesus. So it would be great, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to clinch the deal for you. It was interesting timing, him asking me the question, because like, I was literally right in the middle of editing this book about like what evidence do we have currently for the resurrection of Jesus and the discussion that we had like I talked about I think I talked about you know that bit in the beginning of I don't know if you've read Miracles by C.S. Lewis where he talks about how if you're convinced that a miracle can't happen that 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 miracles can't happen then you will not even be convinced if you see a miracle happen Mm. because you've already like ruled it out of the possibilities about what could happen. So like if I, if I am convinced that I live in a world where miracles are impossible, then if God writes my name in the sky and talks to me in an audible voice, I can still go, Oh, skywriting or thunder, or at like at least I can be like, oh, I was delusional, you know, like it was a hallucination. Like if my system is so closed that it doesn't think miracles can happen in the first place, even seeing a miracle won't do it. So I think if you are a time traveler going back to convince yourself, like to be like, oh, well, I don't believe in miracles, but I'm going to go back and and if Jesus does come back to life and I see it, then I'll believe. I don't know if it'll work. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. But still, I think for the person who is like, maybe, maybe it could be true. Like, I just want to see if, like, did Jesus really calm a storm on Lake Galilee? Did he really tell the weather what to do and it did it? And if he went back and saw it, you'd be like, great. That is very helpful for my faith. So, yeah, it's that funny thing where it's like, that would be so awesome to be able to do that. And yet, I have to believe that God has given us enough to get on with even 2000 years later maybe it's like what jesus says after you know thomas like doesn't believe that jesus is alive and then thomas sees jesus and then jesus is like you believe because you've seen but like blessed are those who believe without seeing which i don't think means stop asking questions thomas among other things i think it's an indication that we have that like god is not going to leave us without enough evidence at whatever point in history we live in yeah yeah yeah, I think you're right. And I, oh, that, oh, that's just one of my favorite verses because as someone who feels often like I don't get I don't see a lot and I don't feel like I don't 
feel a lot of my faith. I believe it, but it's not like I'm like, wow, I have so many answered prayers or I can really feel God's presence with me, but I'm like, I'm I'm not seeing, but I'm still believing and I'm blessed because of it. Mm. And And I love it. It's nice. And I think for me, like the evidence is so important. Like I've always been a, but show me the proof kind of person. I guess for anyone who's in that boat of like, I, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. I fully get that. But I also think that God has given us plenty to be getting on with here and now. And yeah, it would be cool to see that other stuff. But I don't think it would be the game changer maybe we think it is. Mm, I think you're right. Anyway, that's just some... Um, some old business from a previous thing. Should we actually get into our question for today? We should get into our question for today. Was Jesus a rubbish carpenter? Well, was he? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that the first, the first thing we have to deal with is whether Jesus was a carpenter before. Was he a rubbish carpenter? Because if he wasn't a carpenter, then he wasn't... <laughs> Well, he might have been rubbish because he had no idea how to do it. Well, Tom, I can answer that one for you because yeah. I have seen The Passion of the Christ. And in that movie, if you'll recall, Jesus invents the modern table. He, he does. Um, and there is that that bizarre scene where he's building this like t- like 20th century, 21st century table. And... Is it Mary that comes in? It's like, what is this? Why is your table so tall? Because yeah. like back then they would like recline around a lower table. And he's like, no, 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 this is totally going to catch on. And so Jesus invented the table. Therefore, he was a carpenter. Next question. I watched that today in preparation for this. I went and found that really? scene. Yeah. There's a few things which stood out to me in the scene. One was that uh, he he built this tent table that's for a rich man, like a rich man has gone, look, I need a... I need a table with chairs. Can you make it happen? And Jesus was like, for sure, man. But then the thing that I found most offensive about it was at the end, Mary says, come on in for dinner and leave your dirty apron outside, which is which is kind of nice kind of interaction between Mary and Jesus. But then she's like, oh, wash your hands. And she pours some water on his hands and it just kind of sprinkles on his hands and then he splashes the water in Mary's face. And I was like, Jesus... You should know a lot better than that. You need to wash your hands for 20 seconds at least. And you need to, you can't be just spraying water around. It was, I was very upset with Jesus and his hand hygiene. Perhaps a question for another day is um, what were Jesus' hygiene practices? I mean, he had some stuff to say. I mean, not that the Pharisees were on about hand, uh, like, physical hygiene with all of their hand washing but he had a lot to say about hand washing so maybe we can do a whole podcast on that he, he also was um a pretty liberal with his spit at times that is that is also true he was not worried about droplets <laughs> no social distancing was not a thing that jesus appeared to be heaps into although lest anyone write us an angry email i'm sure that in the current pandemic he would approve of us staying the necessary distance apart from one another. Please don't tweet that I said that Jesus doesn't care about social distancing. <laughs> Leave your masks on, people. I think actually, though, like this isn't actually where I meant to go with this, but part of I think a related question to whether Jesus was a, a good carpenter is 
like this is related to like what does it mean for him to be perfect and then the so there's a question there could Jesus get sick like if he's got a human body but we don't have to talk about that at the moment but i think that's part of the question that we're talking about mm. so anyway so in terms of a carpentry apart from the passion of the christ the the reason why we think jesus was a carpenter is one because his father was and two because in mark chapter 6 Verse 3, they, the crowd comes and sees Jesus and then they say, Is this, isn't this Jesus the carpenter? Or isn't this the carpenter? And then, but then the issue is the word that we have translated as carpenter is not, doesn't always mean carpenter. It's a Greek word, which is tekton, which I think is one of the cooler Greek words because it sounds uh, like a transformer. I think of transformers when I hear it too. Uh, and tecton means either carpenter or stonemason or metal worker or just builder. So it's like a general purpose builder word, but what was he building? We don't know. We, yeah. So he might have been building tables and stools and he might have, you know, he might have made a, like a, a liquor cabinet for someone or uh, he, he might have been building houses out of rocks. Uh, in in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up and lived for most of his life, there wasn't. There's not a lot of trees around, as far as I know. I haven't been there, but Chris, you have been there. There are trees around. Um, but speaking of me going there, when I was in Israel, I heard what is now my favorite theory about what Jesus was doing, and I actually think it's pretty pretty compelling. So. Just kind of the next town over almost from Nazareth is this city called Sepphoris. And Sepphoris had been like destroyed in a revolt or something earlier on. And basically it was being, Herod was rebuilding it as like his city in that region or his mm -hmm. like main place to live. And so the whole, it was this massive large scale building project in Sepphoris that was happening during the period of Jesus' youth and young adulthood. And this project would have been so big that it would have needed every tradie in the area. And so the theory goes that if Joseph and, by extension, Jesus were doing any kind of tectoning, it's highly likely that one of their big jobs was helping to rebuild this city. Which is interesting like that Jesus was building this city for Herod Antipas, which is... Uh, I think about like six six kilometers from Nazareth, mm. and that's where Herod lived. But who is the same Herod who Jesus then met later on when he was on trial? So he he built this guy's city and then actually met him, and then Herod allowed him to be killed. There's this weird kind of series of almost like near misses between Jesus and the Herods. Like the other one I can think of is. You know the bit about Herod and the wise men mm. and the attempted murder of Jesus when he's a kid. That was Herod. Herod's dad, that one. Right. So that was Herod the Great, the father of um, Herod Antipas and the other miscellaneous Herods, well, Herods that are around when Jesus is an adult. Anyway, so he, Herod the Great, had a fortress called Herodium, which tells you something about his humility that he named the fortress after himself. Anyway... Herodium was like his palace, well, one of his 
fortresses anyway down in the region of Judea, and it actually overlooks Bethlehem. Like it, on you've got the the mountain that Herodium's on, and then you look down across the valley, and then up on the next hill is Bethlehem. And so I was really like amazed by this idea that it is possible that Herod was like within stone's throw of Jesus when he was born, but you know, in the providence of God, like it was not discovered until later on. If Herod's son is rebuilding the city and Jesus is helping to build it. It's just interesting that like Jesus was so much in that world and and you know, I mean I guess everyone to an extent was having dealings with these guys because they were the people in charge. You know, so people would be having these kind of indirect, you know, where their lives were intersecting with the decrees of the rulers or whatever, but it's just interesting to me. I don't, there was no particular point to that, except that's interesting, right? I thought that was interesting. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those, one of those shows where, where there's the two characters that like keep, or they keep kind of bumping into each other, but not realizing that they're bumping into each other until, mm. until the end when their fates intertwine. So was Jesus a carpenter? Maybe. I'm going to go with stonemason. That fits for me more. Because, partly because he also he talks about building in his parables mm. and he, and they're always kind of bigger projects that he's talking about. He doesn't use illustrations about when you're making a stool, but he does talk about like building barns and building towers and things yeah. like that. So It was really cool walking around Sepphoris and being like, Jesus might have built one of these. Like seeing the ruins of the walls and being like, maybe Jesus made some of that stuff. If so, it seemed like pretty good work. I don't really know my... 2000 year old stonemasonry that well like i don't have a craftsman's eye about it but i was like pretty good it's still i mean if it's still around 2000 years then that that speaks of good quality workmanship well it's a ruin um (laughs) and i think part of it was like a reconstructed ruin so we can conclude that jesus probably did not build like indestructible buildings (laughs) i don't know how far that gets us he might have built the pyramids like they're still around i think You've got timing issues there. <laughs> so I, I reckon though he's, as a carpenter, we have no idea whether he was good or not. But but would it would it upset you if you found out that he wasn't a very good carpenter? Like if his, like if his houses, like people lived in his houses and they're like, look, this wall, this is pretty shoddy work. It's the wall's not straight, the floor's a bit bumpy. I think it depends, right? Like maybe the next. Thing to kind of iron out is what do we mean when we say that Jesus was perfect like we kind of touched on that a little bit back but we didn't really get into it and at school there's a distinction that I often find myself drawing with the kids which is like when we say that Jesus was perfect that's not to say like he was the fastest runner out of all of his friends and that he learned to walk without ever falling over and that you know he could jump the highest and he could like punch the hardest and that he could dance the best and that he had the most beautiful singing voice and he could see further than everybody else and you know like in his godness he could do any of those things but they would be miracles in his everyday humanness i think he was an everyday human and so if his carpentry or his stone masonry or masonry or whatever was imperfect because He didn't like, you know, he didn't use his miraculous powers to plane everything to an absolutely robotically perfect 90 degree angle or whatever. 
and he didn't like set every two stone stones together with micromillimeter precision. That would not disappoint me. I think there's uh, that there would have been a temptation for Jesus. Maybe some of the early temptations for Jesus was when Satan turned up and he was building something, and Satan was like, "Jesus, why don't you just throw up this wall with your God powers?" And you know, you don't you don't need to build this wall with your hands. And Jesus has been like, no, the early temptations would have been about his work, to use his godness on his work, not to make some bread for himself. I am interested in your assumption that Satan was popping in bodily <laughs> to visit Jesus once in a while and being like, you know, it, it feels like the temptation. I've always read the temptation in the wilderness as being sort of the, the time that happened, but... Anyway, um, that aside, I I agree that it's so interesting that he did something so sort of methodical and slow, presumably in the slow methodical way that humans do it, when he could have just been like, ta-da, a completed city. Yeah. With a click of his fingers. At least when no one was looking. Right, like... You know, he could have, like, like they could all come in in the morning ready for a day's work. And it's like, no, nah, it's, it's cool, guys. I just finished it off when you were um, when you were asleep, just pulled an all-nighter and city complete. But even, like, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with him doing that apart from, you know, like, it may not have been in step with the timing of revealing who he was. And I suspect that perhaps, like, in the same way that he would heal people and say, don't tell anybody, because once people got wind of that, they read that through the lens of what they thought the Messiah was that was very different to what he was actually doing. But, like, I don't think there would be anything immoral about him being like, Miracle City, click, there it is. Well, see, when you when you look at Jesus' miracles, he only ever uses miracles for the benefit of other people. So, he, like, you never see him use a miracle for, like, like, he doesn't make his own food or get himself worshipped or get himself out of a tricky situation. Well, yeah, but like surely, you know, affordable housing. Yeah, yeah, no, well, he could, yeah, he might have been like I'm going to hope give ho- homes to the homeless. But if it was like I just am going to throw up a city quickly cuz this is my job and it will get me home quicker. And I don't want to do it. Yeah. Well, but like that I guess brings us back to what I was was thinking about before, which is like like you were asking about like shoddy craftsmanship. Mm. That's where, from what we know about Jesus' character, we can say, I don't, whatever he did, he did it to the best of his ability. Like, I don't think that he would have been a dodgy builder coming in and, like, skipping on materials or whatever and delivering a shoddy finished product. I think whatever it was, it would have been quality in the sense that a trustworthy hard-working tradesperson today delivers quality he didn't he didn't build it out of flammable cladding because it was cheaper and also because it didn't exist but even if he had the option <laughs> actually i don't know what cladding is oh it's, it's just what you put on the outside of a building and buildings keep catching fire from like cheap cladding oh that's what cladding is Right, there you go. Sorry, I just did a Google image search for cladding. This is an educational podcast, Tom. I'm learning. So Jesus would have been a good carpenter or a good stonemason in terms of his 
he would have put in the effort. Like everything he did, he did all to the glory of God. He he did it as best as he could. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was his skills were good. Like he he might have been average or below average in his skills as a carpenter. Well, he could have been in the sense that like he didn't go into carpentry because his parents noticed his gifts for building at an early age and said, hey, you should consider a career in tecton in work. It happened because, well, dad's a tecton, so you're just going to be a tecton. Yeah. Maybe Joseph's dad was a tecton too, and so maybe like there were just generations of like not that innately good builders in the family. Although there's something to be said for like, thousands of hours of experience and generational know-how getting passed down. So I reckon Jesus would have got good, but he would have had to learn it. Like I'm assuming that when we talk about Jesus being perfect and when we talk about Jesus being God, just like he didn't come into the world as a fully formed adult in any other way. That would have been terrible for birth. It would have been a, a real problem but also you know so he had to grow he had to learn to talk he had to learn to walk he had to learn to like use the bathroom all of that stuff that is just part of the full experience of being human jesus would have had to do that yeah and so i imagine that he would have had to learn his trade one bit at a time and i think he would have made lots of mistakes along the way right Mm mm-hmm are you offended, Tom, by the idea that Jesus made mistakes? God doesn't make mistakes, Chris. Well, so <laughs> stalemate. <laughs> no, I, I. What do you actually think about that, though? No, I'm, I'm definitely not not offended by the idea that Jesus would make mistakes in terms of learning how to do it, or uh, just maybe making a wrong calculation because it's not sinful to do that. Like, it would be sinful to rip people off, but it wouldn't be sinful to not not always be brilliant at everything that you do. Because, like you were saying, like some there would be some things that Jesus was better at than others. And, and even if, like, Joseph's family was really good at tectoning, we don't even know, like, where all Jesus' DNA was, came from. And it might not have even been in Jesus' DNA to be great at tectoning. Mm. But it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me if his skills were were not great. It would bother me if he was doing a shoddy job and ripping people off because he was lazy, or because he you know wanted yeah. wanted free money. And I think so. The one story that we have about Jesus as a child ends by saying, "And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man." And so, if Jesus had to grow in wisdom, surely he had to grow in his like less important skills such as his skills in building stuff yeah so i think he didn't make like moral mistakes i don't think he you know whoopsie i'm still learning about ethics and so i rip somebody off like i don't think that's how it worked but i do think that he i'm quite comfortable with the idea that he made mistakes in not sawing something quite right or whatever one one thought i had was that and i i don't think i actually believe this but that it could be that that jesus was a pretty average carpenter if like if he was really good at carpentry and his business was going really well he was making lots of money everyone wants wanted you know jesus and and his brothers to go and 
you know, build all their stuff. Then Jesus, as he was doing that, uh, he might not have, you know, realized that there was a call on his life to go and preach and teach and do miracles and be the Messiah, but he's, he was average at it. And so Mary was like, listen, Jesus, you might want to think about doing something else. I, I don't know if you were virgin born to be a, the world's greatest tecton because you're clearly not. What else is on the cards for you? And he's like, well, you know, pretty good at messiahing. Maybe I'll give that a shot. And then went and did that. It's an option, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it is. <laughs> Um, can I can I raise another bit of the Bible with you that I think relates to this? Uh, yeah. So, like, if we go all the way back to Genesis, right, and to the creation of human beings, mm -hmm. Jesus tells them to be fruitful and to multiply, and basically he invites them to partner with him in being a creator, in being like little creators under the lordship of god the big creator like there's a there's a lot we can wonder about how jesus approached his trade but i think at the very least we can assume that formed a significant part of his view of it all that in creating things in doing good work he was reflecting the character of god to the world so like when we say jesus is perfect we're not saying that he was the best at everything but he was perfect at being who he was supposed to be mm -hmm. which was shaped by who god is so he perfectly reflected the character of god he perfectly loved god and others which is the essence of perfectly obeying the law that god had given to israel mm -hmm. and so part of perfectly embodying who god is would be not necessarily being perfect at his trade, but being perfect in the way that he approached his trade. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm with you on that. I get it. <laughs> Are we maybe nearly to the answer to this question, do you think? Like, to me, that makes a lot of sense to say, was Jesus a rubbish carpenter? Depends what you mean. Was he rubbish in the way that he approached his carpentry? Was he rubbish in, in the effort that he put in? Was he rubbish in his dedication to becoming skilled at it? Was he rubbish in his commitment to excellence? No to all of the above. But once all that was done, does it diminish his perfection if he actually wasn't awesomely good at it? I don't think so. No. It was, it was probably pretty good, but we, don't, we have no idea. It doesn't change anything about who he was if he wasn't the world's greatest carpenter. It's interesting, like now I'm finally cycling back to what you were saying before about Mary having a little talk with Jesus about maybe this isn't his calling. Like as much as you were being sort of facetious about that, because obviously Jesus was pretty on top of whatever his calling was. But I wonder like how much that actually gives us a glimpse into, well, like the question it raises for me is that like, was his trade ever his real vocation or was it just the job that he was doing to help his family you know get through the years of his youth because i believe that god gifts people for 
their vocations. And when God wants you to do something, he'll equip you to do that. And there's a reason why some people are really skilled at stuff. And it's, you know, because they put in lots of work. But when they're putting in lots of work, they are making the most of a gift that God has given them. So I wonder, did God, was part of the incarnation, God the Father going, well, you're going to be doing this for like a large part of your life. I want to gift you with a natural ability at this or fundamentally since Jesus's ultimate vocation was being the Messiah was it kind of irrelevant how good he was in terms of his gifting at being a stone worker or whatever or or was it important for him to be average at it so that in his development as a human he knew what average was like <laughs> because mm. the human experience is that most of us an average most of the time. Yeah. If if he was the the celebrated great greatest carpenter or tecton of Nazareth, he would have a different experience from if he was just your everyday tecton who didn't stand out much more than the the next tecton down the street. Well, right, and when you know Jesus returns to Nazareth, the reaction of his family and the people from his village isn't like Oh, that explains why he was so awesome at carpentry. Yeah. No wonder his, you know, sanding was always so precise. He was the Messiah. <laughs> totally makes sense. They're like, well, he's just a, this guy. And, and, they're, and they're kind of thrown off by the fact that he's preaching because he is this carpenter. They're like, well, who's this guy to be preaching? He's, isn't he a carpenter? Isn't he? Isn't he Joseph, mm. the carpenter's son? Like, he's he's in the wrong wrong place at the wrong time. Well, not the wrong time, but he's doing the wrong thing because that's that's not who he is to us. He should just be the bloke who is, you know, putting putting up a wall. But he also also though, I assume he wasn't a terrible carpenter because it doesn't say when he came back to town. Everyone tried to stone him because their houses had all fallen down. That is true. And they weren't they weren't chasing him up to fix his dodgy work. Mm. And I think, you know, Jesus like in in Hebrews two seventeen, where it talks about him being Jesus being made like Abraham's descendants, fully human in every way. Like I think part of being fully human in every way is not getting to shortcut work and practice and effort and all of that. Mm. So, which I guess I like a lot of this has implications for the way that we approach our work, you know, like that, I guess it's okay to not be awesome at everything, but also it's not okay to be dishonest about your work and it's not okay. Um, okay. This, this next bit could just risk being, a rant and a soapbox moment from me. Will will the court allow it? <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you want me to give you a t- time for how long you're allowed to soapbox for? Well, you just stop me when it's too much. I'll, I'll try and be restrained. Um, I have a real issue with the acceptance of mediocrity in the church. Like, you know how this is not true of all Christian music and all Christian art, but there is a lot of Christian music and art and literature and stuff that is not that great because it doesn't need to be that great because it's not competing with the real stuff. It's like, 
If you want to listen to this band, but it's got swears in it, you can listen to this Christian band, which is the same, but it's nice and safe. And it prioritizes like safety over like it, like it prioritizes being squeaky clean and family friendly over actually being good art. Mm -hmm. And that infuriates me to no end because if the gospel is true, if Christians really do have this relationship with the God of the universe. It doesn't mean we're going to instantly be better at doing art, but it means we have just as much reason to care about it. And we have even more reason to care about it because great art brings glory to God mm. and great craftsmanship brings glory to God. And being good at what you do brings glory to God, which is not to say, you know, if you struggle and if you haven't found your calling or whatever, that you are letting God down. Or it's not even to say if you're not that good at something, you're letting God down. But if you're just slacking off because you're like, oh, whatever, I don't need to work that hard. Like if you're not doing the best you can to create good and beautiful things and put them out into the world, whatever that looks like, whether that looks like writing or carpentry or music or parenting or whatever, like if we settle for mediocrity and say, yeah, but, you know, it's not about that. I don't know. I find that really frustrating. And I think this conversation has made me go like, yeah, I don't think Jesus would have been like, well, I don't need to actually be like put the work in here because this isn't my main gig anyway. It's all about getting people into heaven. So I don't actually need to care about my day job. I think Jesus cared about his day job because he cared about pleasing his father and because he cared about loving and serving the people around him because that is what he seemed to be on about in all aspects of his life okay that's all that was like the short version i'm proud of myself can i can i give you the the flip side though of that which maybe we're we're now off off topic but i've been thinking about this a bit as well and why why is it that christian art is often not as good as mainstream art and to some degree, I think it is that that we can get away with it because we have a smaller market and we have different people that we're, you know, we tr you're trying to do this squeaky clean thing. But also, I think like some of the really good art that we have in the world comes from people who their entire identity is poured into making being the greatest novelist or or the greatest musician, and so everything of them is poured into this thing and we get amazing art out of it but it is their identity and probably their idolatry that we benefit from and, and for the christian who doesn't find their identity in in their art but finds their identity in jesus then it means that you can go home at the end of the day and say okay that's not the best thing that i've ever done or it's not the best thing that's ever been made but my identity isn't found in doing the greatest thing and mm. so I can I can go mm. home and I can have a nap and I can put out something that's not as good as it could be, but I'm not going to kill myself to do it because there's more to life than than finding my identity in this thing. Yeah. So I guess it is, it's like, I think it's both and though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think I 100% agree with all of that. And I would hate to give the impression that I'm saying being a Christian means you're not allowed to sleep until you've, you know, made another awesome concerto or whatever but yeah i think that surely once you've gotten yourself into a 
more Jesus-like rhythm of work and rest that comes from knowing that your work doesn't give you your value. And once you learn to put your work into its proper place as a priority that is subservient to your faith in God and your relationship with God and the way that you treat other people. Like, I think the more you become like Jesus and the more you accept his attitude to work and rest and the more you reject the workaholism that comes from thinking that your whole value comes from your work, I think all of that will lead to better work in the long run. Mm. And maybe not as much of it. Maybe you will like produce less stuff that the world can look at and be like, wow, look at what you made. But I think that if the heart of what you're doing is to demonstrate the glory of God to the world, that is going to show. And I'll be honest, like for me, my, my temptation is always towards overwork. And so the reason my soapbox is all about like, we've got to be excellent is partly because that's a biblical vision of Christians making excellent stuff. And partly just it's my own junk about never feeling like what I do is good enough. And my, own, you know, so that's, that's partly my own baggage. But I think the core of that is true. I think that there's got to be a way to model our lives on the life of Jesus by doing the best work we possibly can. And also at the end of the day being like, you know what? I did the best work I possibly could. And that's enough. Yeah. And my thing is that I'm I'm the opposite. I'm the, yeah, near enough is good enough. <laughs> and and so I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock off at the end of the day, even if I haven't done the best job ever, because I'm like, oh, well, Jesus still loved me. Yeah. And so I need to sometimes do better, do harder work and try and achieve a better product to glorify God with the skills and talents and opportunities that he's given me. And I guess in a broken world, we're all going to err on one side or the other, right? Yeah. We are all going to be the shoddy carpenter, either in the overachieving direction or the underachieving direction. Like we are all going to tend towards overwork and idolizing work and like tethering too much of our own sense of self-worth to our work or being like, nah, screw it, I can't be bothered. And I think, you know, as we've been, I guess, talking about today, however Jesus might have been a rubbish carpenter, he wasn't a rubbish carpenter in those ways. Yeah. He didn't put his work above God. He didn't say, you know what, I'm actually not going to go be the Messiah. I'm going to just, like, be real good at making those tall tables with chairs because I'm (laughs) I'm convinced that's going to catch on. But at the same time, I don't think he ever didn't work hard to do the thing that he'd said he was going to do to the best of his ability. I don't know how you I don't know how you do that. Like, I don't know how we like go and do likewise. But I think that's what I'm going to take away from this is like, like whatever wasn't quote unquote perfect about Jesus's technical expertise or whatever. What was perfect was the heart behind it. I think for us as like regular people, non-Messiah people, non-God people, there's always going to be a temptation for our heart to be in the wrong place. And that's going to look different for different people. But I guess I'm challenged to go away and be like, how do I do better? Not just in the, the volume or the excellence of my work, but in why I do it and why I 
do it the way that I do it. And I'm challenged to give up whatever I am doing and go and be the Messiah. I mean, we might want to have a talk offline about that one. <laughs> I think we need to wrap it up there. Yeah. There's, we can write a book chapter out of that. Yeah, I think we can. Uh, I think it's my chapter. Oh, is it? Great. All right. If people want to ask us a question that they're not asking, where, how could they do it, Chris? Well, I wanted to say email your questions to a question I am asking at questionsyou'renotasking.com. Um, but you said that was too complicated. So instead, you can email your questions to questions at questionsyou'renotasking.com. Great. Um, make sure you use the correct your. Um, which is Y-O-U-R-E, but no apostrophes because it's an email address. Questions at questionsyou'renotasking.com. And where can people find more about you? Uh, they can find out more about me at chrismorphew.com. Um, and from there, you'll also, as well as finding out about the books I've written, you'll also find my YouTube channel and my Instagram and all of that. So if you want to follow me on anything, you can do that. Where can they find you, Tom? They can find me at tomfrench.com.au and they can find my books and my blog and my videos there. I'm kind of jealous that you got the .au. Oh, I really wanted tomfrench.com, but uh, someone had already taken it. So uh, I got the .au. Rough. I was the Australian Tom French. And still are. Well, th- this has been fun. You will hear us next week when we answer another question that you're not asking. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.